You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now, can this dry, dead stuff that I see in front of me come back to life? Now, that's a really good question to ask in the middle of winter, isn't it? Uh, I love I love flowers. Uh, Janie likes to make fun of me, but I love flowers. I have all kinds of flowers. I have peonies, hibiscus, hydrangeas, cannas, asiatics. Like, I have all kinds of flowers. I love them. You want to know what my yard looks like right now? Yeah, all, all of it. All of those beautiful flowers just dead. That's actually a hibiscus. Like Those won't be coming back to life. I already know the answer to that. Right? But this, this time, right, this barrenness of winter, as Shane Wood likes to call it, is a really good time to reflect on some things. With all of the foliage pulled back, we can see things that aren't that healthy. We can see the things that need to be cut back, uh, the things that aren't doing too well. I was listening to a friend of mine, Shane Wiley, recently. He was preaching at his church in Amarillo, Texas, and he had this refrain that he kept coming back to that really stuck with me. He kept asking his church, "I I think we've forgotten who we are. And the we he's referring to being the church, like capital C church in Western culture. We can't really speak too much outside of that. But that was the question. And he was looking at, in his sermon, he was looking at the early church in the book of Acts. In Christianity, we tend to hold the early church that we see in Acts as like the ideal that we're supposed to strive for. And the reason being pretty simple, like those were the people who were closest to Jesus. So they probably had the best idea of what it was he wanted from them. So it's, it's sound logic. And the church that we see in Acts is incredible. Right? It, it was working. It's growing. It's taking care of people, literally changing the world, taking over the entire Roman Empire. It was a force full of people living with a fire in their bones that nothing could stop. Right, reading through the stories in Acts and the stories that we actually even hear about in other history books from that time period is inspiring. And the church in America today is a lot of things. But looking like the church in Acts is not one of them. Right, if we want to bring life where there is death, we have to be willing to be honest about some things. Right? If, we, if we want to examine the church today Honestly, we would say that the church in America today is divisive, power-hungry, complacent, lazy, agitated, opinionated, very opinionated. Uh, In general, the best summation, the kindest summation I can think of is just concerned about all the wrong things. Our priorities are mixed up, and while I'm going to be talking about the uh, American church, the Western church as a whole, and spend most of my time doing so this morning, uh, most of these things to some degree or another, apply here as well. And I know that we're without a senior minister right now, but that's hardly an excuse. We've been steadily declining in numbers for years now. And while nothing directly seems bad, like I honestly believe we aren't doing anything wrong, there's people coming, like 
Things are good. We've been steadily declining for years now. We have to be willing to talk about this because this is how churches die a slow and painful death. Uh, And I would argue have been dead for a really long time already. It just takes a while for the atrophy to show. But can these bones live? And while only God knows, I hope the answer is yes. So what can we do? What, what are we missing? What is so different about us from the early church that we see in the book of Acts? How can we remember who we are? That's the journey I kind of want to go on with our time together this morning. So I'm just going to read the Great Commission. That's it. Pretty simple. It's in Matthew 28. Seems like a, a good place. The mission statement that Jesus gave to the church right before he left earth. It's like a good place to go to answer this question, right? So starting in verse 18... It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. We have to stop right there. Uh, I know that's kind of a weird spot to stop in the middle of a sentence. But we need to make note of something here. Because the church in America has become laser focused on an entirely different action verb than the one Jesus used right there. (laughs) Jesus says to his disciples, go make more disciples. And my grandpa actually preached here last year and pointed out the awkwardness of the English translation, like in in Greek, that probably would have read a little more like, as you go, disciple, as in as you're going about your daily life, more so than like, go to strange places you've never been before. As you're going, as you're living out your, your daily life, doing the things that you normally do, typically do, disciple. Show the world what life with Jesus could look like. And have them follow you in that. Go make disciples. And I feel like whether it ends up being explicitly stated in this way or not, the church has swapped out go for come. Come and see. Come into our building. Come into our programs. Come and see what life with Jesus could be like for you. And then they come and they see that life with Jesus apparently is about being divisive, power-hungry, complacent, agitated, (laughs) opinionated, etc., invite your friends to church has become our definition of evangelism, of discipleship. I just don't think Jesus ever wanted it to be that way. Author Floyd McClung in his book, You See Bones, I See an Army, wrote this. At some point in his life, Jesus started dreaming about a movement made up of ordinary people from every walk of life in every culture, tribe, and language. Yet even though he dreamed of a worldwide movement, he went about it in a personal, relational way. He dreamed big, but he built small. He set out to change the world, but he did it one person at a time. And that's exactly what Jesus did, what he called his original disciples to, which they did, and it worked. And the same thing that he's called us to, and that we've replaced with, and we're a cultural institution, they can come here if they want to. They can come here, they can see all the awesome stuff that we have without even realizing that 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 attitude, that switch we've made, has kind of made the stuff that we have to offer not all that awesome. Uh, If we're, we're often, honestly, not too different from any other institution or social club that they could join. Uh, If you need proof, I I doubt it, but if you need proof that what we're doing here isn't working, a study from 2001, right, uh, what's that, 21 years ago, a long time ago, looked at the total number of dollars being poured into the American church. That's a lot of money, okay? Uh, And then divided that total by the total number of baptisms in America that year. 
uh, they found that each baptism in America costs on average one and a half million dollars. Now, I recognize that that's an inherently flawed stat, okay? The church offers a lot of goods other than just baptism and like grabbing people and chucking them in the water isn't like the end-all be-all of discipleship. I understand, I understand that. Like for, for example, we have a, a, a couple of our students I've been walking, uh, walking alongside for the past couple of months, one of whom tried to commit suicide a few months ago, the other one who, who found them, like found the empty bottle of pills and probably saved their life, right? Uh, it's been a scary and difficult couple of months, but honestly, they're, they're in a albeit not great, but better place than they were even just a couple of months ago. They're both still alive, right? I I haven't baptized either of them, but like obviously there's good stuff still happening. So I I recognize this is a flawed stat. This isn't the only thing that the church does. So please, that the church does, not does. So please don't take this stat any further than the simple point that I'm trying to make, which is we have our priorities so far out of whack. What we're doing is not working. One and a half million dollars, are you kidding me? That's the cost of discipleship in the United States. That's ridiculous. Uh, And I know we don't spend, we obviously don't spend that. It takes us years to get to one and a half million dollars here, right? But don't let ourselves off the hook too quickly. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that same simple equation for us and still feel like, man, something's just not right here. In the year 1900, 120 years ago, about 33% of the world's population was considered Christian. You know what that number is today? About 33%. Depending on where you look, most people would say 31 to 33%. As in nothing has changed in the last 120 years. Now that's worldwide. What makes that a little bit more sobering to me is the fact that the underground church in China is seeing growth at a rate that has never been seen before in history. Some people are saying we can't know for sure. Some people are saying possibly greater than at any point in church history in the last 2,000 years, maybe even greater than the original church that we see in Acts. But all of that growth is being counterbalanced by the Western church being in apparently equal decline. This approach that we've adopted of being a driving political force, of pretending to be a beacon of light to the world when what we're really doing is shining a light on how bad other people are, and of hoping that they just show up to our place and have their lives magically changed when they hear a nice sermon, and lamenting the fact that surprisingly, ah, shucks, church just isn't a priority for people anymore. It isn't working. And this shouldn't be a surprise, but it kind of is. God, can these bones live. Uh, part of the problem, I think, is like a lot of what we do isn't bad. Honestly, I don't think any of what we do is bad. Inviting people to come to church is not a bad thing. It was just never intended to be the thing, the only thing, or even the main thing. Jesus never said, build a building, invite people to it, then care more about personal freedom than being free from sin and death, guilt women and having babies, listen to a nice sermon, go home, forget all about it. Jesus also never even said, make church attendance a priority in your life. I think we should. It's good. But Jesus never said it. It obviously wasn't top on his list. The word is disciple. And the question that I think the Western church needs to ask, and us as a part of that, is how do we deeply implant a new culture? Empowering, discipling, multiplication, going kind of culture. And there's so many things that I want Fur Road to be 
for the people of Carl Junction. I, I want this to be a place where people can come where they can start their relationship with Jesus, where they can not feel judged, where they can feel empowered, where they can come and, and have a great place to start their week, feel, feel encouraged, and then go about the rest of their week. Like, I want this to be a great place for people to come, but this church I desperately want us all in here to understand is a horrible place to stop. People's lives don't change sitting in a chair. And what Jesus says is, I want you guys to gather it's all over the Bible. Like, this gathering is important. I want you to gather, but not get comfortable. I want you to gather to be encouraged, to be empowered. We gather to celebrate the great things that God is doing, that the church, the people has done throughout the week to celebrate what God has done in us and through us. If God hasn't done anything awesome, I don't know what we're pretending to celebrate. All right, I mean, we gather to, to challenge each other, and then we're supposed to scatter and take it all to our own areas of influence. Okay, I'm not Catholic, you guys know that, but there's one thing that I really like about their services that I, I'd be willing to bet maybe even a lot of practicing Catholics don't know. You guys know what their service is called? Mass. You guys know what that's Latin for? Sending. Right, so, so their gathering is literally called ascending. They don't go to church, they attend a sending ceremony. Uh, what if we operated like that was the point of church? Like, what if Christianity was no longer defined by, yeah, I attend church, or yeah, I believe in God, and instead, I, I leave church, I disciple. I know that's what Jesus wanted the point of the church to be, because there's a huge difference between a believer and a disciple, and for us to experience the life that God has for us, that he's promised to every single one of us, to experience everything that Jesus came to bring, everything that he offers us, for us to have that life full of hope, healing, and purpose that we are promised we are able to have, we have to recenter on this. Because believers attend church. And they expect to be fed by a church, both spiritually and literally. Uh, want there to be a lot of programs offered and often genuinely want a whole lot of people to come, right, and enjoy their church together. We want to, like, worship together, have a, have a good, like, big, loving family that we enjoy being around. Right? All of those things are good, but believers attend church. Disciples change the world. Disciples grow the church. All the other things are good. Excellence in worship is important, right? I really enjoyed our worship this morning. That's important. All right, there are a million ways to achieve excellence in worship. They are all good and appropriate, assuming you have the right uh, heart in it. Having nice facilities is good. Why? Because we can offer legitimate goods to the community. Like, it's hard to run a soup kitchen without a kitchen. All right, having nice facilities is, is good. Programs are good. Having activities for kids, for, for students, having life groups, Bible studies, these things are good. They're valuable. They bring value to our lives. But the most important thing is somehow the thing that we've gone and forgotten. Steve Addison, in his book, The Rise and Fall of Movements, said the Great Commission is not a command to be baptized. It's a command to every disciple to become a baptizer. In Jesus' time, the rabbis, the, the teachers, they were described purely by observing their disciples, not on the things they taught or not by observing their own lives. What if that were still true today? That makes me a little nervous. Like, how would I be described if people just looked at the people that I've been most intentionally pouring myself into? <laughs> I keep using this, this churchy word, disciple, so I, I really would like to take a second and just simplify it for us this morning because 
I have not been doing nearly as much of this as I want to and as I know God wants me to, but it's really not that complicated. Like I have some, I have some kids, some students, whose life at home is total and utter chaos. And not the good, like, yeah, we're really busy, it's kind of fun kind, like the bad kind of chaos. And they like hanging out with Janie and I. And there's a peace in our home and about us that, that some of them really never get to experience. And once they admit, yeah, I, I kind of like it here, I at that point have an opportunity to reach them to say, hey, there's hope for you. Life doesn't have to be like what you've experienced. You like it here because Janie and I follow Jesus. And that affects the way we talk, the way we parent. That affects everything that we do, how we treat people. And not not in a I'm better than you kind of way. We just do it because God made us. He knows what's best for us. It literally just works out better for us. And the goal of discipleship is simple. Invite someone into my life. Not invite them into my church. Not even invite them into my home. Invite them into my life. Let them be with us on holidays if they need us. Let them have a part in raising our kids. Let them weep with us when we are sad. As we follow Jesus, maybe they will follow us. Once they decide they would maybe like that, I have an opportunity to do the rest of what Jesus says in these passages. All right, I'm going to start over, but I'll go further this time. Then Jesus said to them, or came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey. This, this piece can be tricky for uh, a, a lot of us. It, it, it can trip us up in discipleship. It's difficult. Right? I, I hounded on this a lot in my last sermon, so I'm not really going to get into it that much here right now. If you want to go back and listen to that one from New Year's, feel free. It's on YouTube. Monica just checked this morning, actually. It is on YouTube. Um, Obedience is important. We need the truth of God in our lives, but we have to give it and receive it with unlimited grace. I I believe that there's a reason that Jesus puts this statement second in the Great Commission. We don't teach people to obey Jesus who haven't decided if they even want Jesus to be a part of their life yet or not. So shouting at people on Facebook or even annoying a close friend that you have, like, a real relationship with by thumping them with your Bible is not discipleship. Nor is never being willing to tell a follower of God who looks up to you as a mentor when they're doing something wrong. The example from Jesus every single time is unlimited grace and uncompromising truth. You cannot transform someone's heart without both. If you need something simple, just remember this. Grace plus truth equals love. You can't love somebody without both pieces. And God told us we need to love. But I really did just beat that horse a month ago. So I'd like to move on and get on to the last piece. Starting in verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I'm with you always. You realize Jesus said this 
literally like right before he left and went off to heaven and was never around again. So it's a little bit confusing, like bad timing to just like toss that phrase out for no reason. Um, it's awkward unless, unless you read the book of Acts. At the very beginning of the book of Acts records what he said next, like as he's ascending to heaven to leave and never be around again, uh, at least until he comes back, right? In chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' last words to his disciples, you will receive power. I am giving you everything that you need. What is in me is now in you. Jesus thought it was better for us that he leaves so we can have this instead. All of the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to change lives, the power that Jesus possessed, the power to change the world is in the people of the church, not the programs of the church. That even includes this gathering here right now. Let me say it again. Everything that we do is a good thing, and I want to do more. I want to have more things for more people. I want to do after-school stuff. I want to have Bible studies. I want to have more service projects. I want to have sports programs, again, for kids across the street. That was so much fun when we were doing that. Like, I want to have all these things, but if the people of the church in America continue to fail to recognize that the power for life change is in them on their own as they go about their daily lives seeking out and making disciples, then everything we do at church will be for nothing. Jesus is not just talking to the people that he happened to be talking to in that moment. And he's not just talking about uh, talking to pastors and ministers and missionaries. He's talking to everyone who claims to be a believer in Christ, to those who claim to have the Holy Spirit. All of the power that you need to change someone's life is in you. You don't have to attend OCC and become a biblical scholar to change somebody's life. It's so easy to kind of get into this mode of making excuses. Like, I can say... I really need to focus on Asa right now. I don't have, I don't have time to, to be inviting all these crazy kids into my life or, wh- or whatever. Like, it's so easy to say, I don't know enough of the Bible or I don't know what to say. I'm not going to be able to answer their questions. But Jesus told us that you have everything you need. Brian Sanders, pastor of Underground Church in Tampa, said it like this, if we only want certain players on the field, with everyone else watching, then we can be fine with our current approach to church. But if we want to see this thing called church living unbridled with a wildfire in our bones, then we have to conceive of a new game entirely where everyone plays and where there is an abundance of creativity, of people, and ultimately joy. At the end of the day, it's about empowering every kind of person in every kind of context, to reach out to the people they're surrounded by. I started with that story from Ezekiel. It's called the Valley of Dry Bones. It's a really popular passage, and in a lot of the ways, the church in America for a long time has looked like a nation full of dry bones. We've been written off by culture as dead, hypocritical, unforgiving, irrelevant, judgmental, legalistic, self-righteous, but God sees something different. God doesn't see a valley of dry bones. God sees an army. God sees the untapped potential in us. Not just us as a whole. He sees the untapped potential in you. 
and he sees the untapped potential in me. What if I, as, as a minister here, actually started taking this command seriously? God, can these bones live? What if we here at Fur Road recognized our untapped potential? What if each of us actually attempted to bridge the gap between someone we know and Jesus this year? What if we ushered in a new culture of empowerment, going, and discipling? Jesus gave us all the power that he himself possessed. You have everything you need inside you to change somebody's life. I feel like I end all of my sermons in a little bit the, the same way, which maybe is somewhat telling us that uh, there's at least a little bit of truth in what I'm saying, but we're, we're about to get a new minister at some point, hopefully. I, I, I'm assuming that is going to happen, right? And I really, really genuinely don't want the first thing he has to do when he shows up here is be try to resurrect a church full of dry bones. What if every family here found just one person to invite into their lives, not into their church, not into their home, but into their lives, to disciples so as we follow Jesus, maybe they will follow us. The Son of Man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones, and I will say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. God, thank you so much for loving us, for, uh, for your patience with us, for your forgiveness, even when we've gotten our priorities all mixed up. God, I ask that over the coming days and weeks and months and years, God, I ask that you put people into our lives that we can disciple. God, I ask that, that our example of living for you can speak life into other people's lives. God, I ask that we can implant a new culture of going and discipling and teaching rather than just coming and experiencing. God, we love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.